I want to take you back to 1995. I realize some of you weren't born yet in 1995. There was a man by the name of Gary Dahl who was sitting around with a bunch of his friends who were complaining about the care of their pets, walking them and taking care of their cages and uh, taking them to the vet and feeding and all that goes along with having a pet. Gary Dahl said, I've got the perfect pet. He said, I've got a rock. Well, they started joking about that, and Gary Dahl got a couple of investors, uh, got some money together, went to a local building supply store, and bought a bunch of smooth Mexican stones and marketed them as pet rocks. And 1.5 million of us fell for it. Newsweek called it one of the most ridiculously successful marketing schemes ever. Of course, they didn't know about fidget spinners at that time, right? (laughs) We are here today because of one who is our rock, who stands the true God, the Son of God forever and ever. He's the one person that we need in our lives if we don't want our lives to be absolutely disastrous. Now, the tricky thing is our lives don't look disastrous without Jesus necessarily. We can appear that all is well. And if we can get through life even okay without him, there comes a day when he returns. And then disaster will happen for those who have not made their lives ready. We exist to help people know that life in Jesus is the best way to live. Isaiah lives in a, in a really shaky time for God's people. Israel as a nation was a divided nation. By the time of the fourth king of Israel, the, nations that was, the nation of Israel was comprised of 12 tribes or 12 big family clans. Uh, were divided. Ten tribes in the north were called Israel. Two in the south were called Judah. But they had forgotten who they were. They were forgot, had forgotten their call. They had become a, an arrogant people without a need for God to lead them or be obedient to them. They Both nations were guilty. And at different times, they formed alliances with other foreign nations rather than trust the God who had called them to be a distinct nation. And they rejected God's warnings. Isaiah 28 goes something like this. We have made a covenant with death. Because of our diplomatic relationship with Egypt, nothing can hurt us. We have created for ourselves a safe and secure society. Doesn't it sound like talk in our world today? How our nation plans on security, how we, how we plan on economic stability, we do everything, and yet we can't really control it. Isaiah says the word of the Lord, you're trusting in a lie. The Egyptians aren't going to keep you safe. If you put your trust in them instead of putting your trust in God, then you're building your lives on a shaky foundation. A few chapters later, in chapter 30 of Isaiah, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. And as a result of their arrogance and their pride and their refusal to submit to the Lord's leadership, they were led away into captivity. First, the northern nation in Isaiah's time period by the Assyrians, the greatest power in the world at that time. 
And then later, about 150 years later, the Babylonians came in and took the southern kingdom of Judah away into captivity as well. It all was a foretaste of the true rejection they were going to have toward the Messiah when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born. When he came to the earth, God among us, God with us, Emmanuel. They were so blinded by that time. Now, saying that, there was always a remnant who believed and anticipated, but in, by, by and large, people rejected Messiah's coming. Chapter 29 of Isaiah says this, The Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes. He has covered your heads. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, Read this, please. They will answer, I can't. It's sealed. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this, please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. The Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. Does that describe anybody here in our worship assembly today? Has anybody been moving their lips? But hearts are way far away from God. It happens in worship, you know. The worship of me is based on merely human rules. They have been taught. It's a story not only of Israel, God's people. It's not only the story of obstinate people 700 years before Jesus ever was born. It's your story and mine. Have you ever formed an alliance with something or somebody rather than trust the living God? Have you ever trusted your money more than God? Ever trusted your degree more than God? Your job position, your retirement accounts, uh, the reputation you have among people? Maybe just a really nice person who would do anything for anybody. So you have this great reputation. So that's where, where you connect with more than surrendering to God who loves us. It's my story. You don't think there are times when I have formed the wrong alliance sometimes with people or situations or pride or position? Sure, we're tempted that way all the time. And as we grow, we have to realize that is a shaky foundation. There is no stability in that at all. So, today, we go back to these word pictures of Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet, remember, 700 years he lived before Christ. And we're looking at different pictures he has of who Jesus is. He's called the gospel prophet because he predicts so much. He foretells about the Messiah being born. And so, I need Edwin, come up here, please. I need you just a second. Last week, we used this picture of, of uh, geez, hold, this, uh, hold our stump up. Remember, last week, Isaiah presents the Messiah as a, as, as a, as a branch, and he says that King David came out of a family line. His father was Jesse. And by the time of Isaiah's prophecy, David's line was like a stump. There were kings after King David, the greatest of Israel's king, and they, they were wicked kings, most of them. They were, they were not obeying. The, 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 they were poor leadership for the people. And by the time of Isaiah's day, they were like a stump that God had cut down to size. But the word of hope was, out of that stump, God was going to bring a shoot, there was going to be a branch that comes out of this old stump. And that's that, that one that brings life is Jesus, of course. 
Thank you, Edwin. And then open that package, please. And let's open. What? You can put that down first and then open that one. Okay. All right. And get out with there. what's in there today. Today, Isaiah presents this Messiah to come as a stone, as a, as a rock, as something to provide foundation. Thanks. You can set it down there. This, this stone, here is how he's presented so let's get, it, let's get it well in our systems. First of all, Jesus is a stumbling stone. He's a stumbling stone. People stumble. You're done. Did you want to do something else? <laughs> well, I need six guys later on, so you're going to come back later, okay? All right. All right. So he's a stumbling stone. People stumble over his place. They did in Jesus' day because Jesus came from Nazareth. Well, Nazareth was a know-nothing place. In fact, when Nathaniel was called to follow Jesus, Nathaniel said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so they, they, they looked at that in a ridiculous way. And uh, th- th- there was nothing striking about where Jesus grew up. He's described, Jesus is described as humble. There is no writer in antiquity that ever used the word humble as a tribute to a great man. Jesus Christ simply did not fit the preconceived idea of Messiah, Savior, Redeemer that the Jewish people had. He was born, laid in a manger, a carpenter's son, raised in no-nothing village of Nazareth. It didn't make any sense. This is, this, he came to his hometown when he was 30 years of age, you remember, and the people were stunned. They must have thought, I wiped his nose. I changed his diaper. What do you mean he came to reveal the glory of God to Israel? Bah! And they tried to stone him, you remember? And he walked through the crowd because his time hadn't come. People stumble over his name. Jesus is a special name to those of us who are in Christ. We love saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. But to those people in those days, the name Jesus was an ordinary name. It was like Jim and Joe, uh, those names are to us. It was a common name. The name Jesus didn't set him apart. That was just ordinary. It's the same as the Hebrew name Joshua. We find in the Old Testament that means he shall save And surely his neighbors would have scoffed at the idea of Jesus being anybody but just the little boy who grew up here. People stumble over his words. For most, belief in him was not easy. Even his disciples at times pulled him aside and said, Jesus, what are you talking about? They didn't understand. And he he made provocative statements that we didn't get. Josh mentioned that at the table today, when he, this morning, when he talked about uh, uh, loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you. You got to be kidding. He said, if you want to be a part of me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? And many turned away from following him. They didn't even want to try to understand what he was saying. He said, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your father and mother, brother, even your own life. What? But they didn't even want to struggle with what he was trying to say. And so he told parables, stories that sort of served as a sieve to filter out those who had really come closer, had a spiritual enough uh, understanding in their life to come closer and say, "What what do you really mean? Teach us some more. Those who came nearer finally got it in time. You know, their stumbling over him is not Jesus' problem. It's their problem. A few months ago, I was vacuuming the house in my bare feet. 
I stubbed my toe royally. I lost my toenail. Vacuuming, how can you do that? You do it when you want to get it over with and you do it fast. Now when that happened, I talked to that vacuum. <laughs> I yelled words of disdain and disgust. But there was nothing in that inanimate object did anything other than what it's supposed to do, vacuum up stuff. It was my carelessness that caused me to stub my toe. There is a worse stubbing of your foot, your toe, stumbling that is far worse than losing a toenail on a vacuum cleaner. It's when you stumble over the person of Jesus. And people do all the time. The Bible says he will be a sanctuary, but for Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now, and they felt justified. We're, we need a revolution, not a holy man. Where's your army? How are you going to rally this? How are we going to overthrow Rome with this guy? He doesn't even make sense. He doesn't even have a home to call his own. He doesn't have a job. He just has these 12 guys following him around. And so they held him with great disdain. It wasn't Jesus' problem. It was their problem because of their carelessness in understanding truth. You see, today, there are people that hold Jesus at a distance. It's too hard to really delve into the Bible. They want to find all kinds. I've run into people all the time. They have all kinds of questions. When they start talking about Jesus, well, well, well how, how could the earth be created out of nothing? Well, how could, how could, well, I mean, what do you do with the dinosaurs? Do you really think a flood covered the whole earth? What do you do with all these kids that are starving in the world? What about all this list of things? Some of them are very valid, good questions. Most of them are used as stumbling blocks to Jesus. And if anybody here is struggling this way, the only thing you have to deal with, the beginning point, is who is Jesus? Is he who he claimed to be or not? Now, you don't have to answer all the questions. All you have to decide, is Jesus Lord or is he a liar? Is he self-deceived? Is he a crazy man? And if he is Lord, if, if there's enough evidence that he is who he says he is, we get to spend the rest of our lifetime answering all the questions that confound us. Some people stumble over him because it seems arrogant to say there's only one way to heaven, to the Father. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes with the Father except by me. And that's the truth. Now, people don't want that. That sound, it doesn't fit with today's culture and society. We need to be more open-minded and understanding. But you see, if there are many ways to God, then truth does not exist and everything falls. And if Jesus is a liar, he is certainly not a good man. He said, no one comes to the Father but by, me, but by me. If that's not true, that makes him a liar, and the whole Bible falls apart. You can't just pick and choose what you like, right? So we have to deal with this, and it's, 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 it's hard for some people to get past. Years ago, I met with a group of preachers in Avon, and there were about eight of us around a table, and uh, there were some conservative ones like me and others. There were some liberal preachers there that were moving away from the truth of God. And I remember around that table being there and 
And one of the liberal guys said, well, I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world. And uh, one of my brothers said to him, but you do not believe he's the only Savior of the world. And that preacher stayed silent because he did not believe Jesus was the only Savior of the world. And it's scary to me to think that people are preaching this morning in churches who do not believe he's the only Savior of the world. We proclaim him, and we're not embarrassed to proclaim him as such. At our core... We, th- th- this is our issue. It's all of us. I'm talking about me too, friends. Not j- I'm not pointing fingers. We all have trouble submitting to authority, don't we? I love my wife. We live in mutual submission to one another. But sometimes I don't want her to be right. <laughs> but she is more than not right? It's an indication that I don't really want to submit to her knowing what's best. I want to skirt my way around Scripture somehow to make me kind of the the exception to the rule. You ever live like that ever? We don't even like to see ourselves. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. Moshe Rosen was the founder of Jews for Jesus, Seems odd, doesn't it? You know, they say of themselves, it's like vegetarians marching. We eat meat. We eat meat. You know, doesn't quite make sense. Jews for Jesus? What's wrong with that picture? But he loved his Jewish heritage. And he said, I'm a member of the people to whom Jesus chose to be born. I am Jewish just as Peter, Paul, James, and John, who brought the message of the Messiah to the world. I was born a Jew and will die a Jew. He said that because his Jewish brothers were so harsh and critical of him. He said, went on to say, that the most Jewish thing a person can do is to believe in Jesus. And that's what we do. We believe in Jesus. Second, Jesus is the foundation stone. Isaiah 28, 16 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And there are plenty of things in this world to evoke panic in our lives. Years later, the apostle Peter would be following Jesus. They would go up to the northern part above Israel. And Jesus took his disciples to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And he said, what's talk on the street about me? What's everybody saying about me? They say, well, some think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some think, think, think you're Elijah or some other prophet that's appeared. And Jesus said, what about you guys? What do you think of me? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Peter. I'm going to call you Peter now. Peter, the word is from a word petros that means pebble. Your name's like a pebble. But I'm going to build my church on Petra, a rock. And the gates of hell will never destroy my church. Now, there are church buildings that close up. But God's church universal is not going down because he's the head of his church. And so, Peter, later in the first century, it's 63 AD, Nero is on his throne. He's a cruel emperor of Rome, lighting Christians alive to light his gardens at night. Severe, severe persecution. And Peter, when he writes this to encourage those being persecuted, he quotes what I just read out of Isaiah 28, 16. He he quotes this, this same verse there about the laying a cornerstone in Zion, a sure foundation that Jesus is the cornerstone. 
Now, cornerstones, we're familiar with them. You go outside, uh, outside our building to the left, turn left, and you'll see our cornerstones, say Plainfield, Plainfield Christian Church. Our, our two building, our Plast building on Buchanan Street, it still has a cornerstone. If you go to Center Street, it, that cornerstone is 1866. That's where we were located back in that day. We started in 1829. That was a, must have been a great, exciting time in 1866. That cornerstone says Plainfield Church of Christ. So evidently, our name changed sometime. I don't know why. I don't know the story. But now this is who we are. Now, we can go out to this cornerstone here and take that stone out. Nothing will happen. That's not true in Jesus. It's sort of a it's symbolic. That's what our cornerstone is. It's symbolic. But in Jesus' day, that's not, that's not what a cornerstone is is. The cornerstone was that perfect stone that was most symmetrical from which walls were built. PBS, several years ago, tried to build a pyramid um, using tools only available in 3000 BC when they were built. So they did all their calculations, and 25 days into it, they ditched the project because they realized they started the, the wrong stone. Now, I need a few guys. Uh, Andrew, you're right here. Tom, you're here. I don't, yeah, you two, you two guys. Travis, come on up. And who else we got here? Paul Slover, you come up here, okay? And it's four of you. Let's get six. Edwin, come back. You like to be on the stage, right? So come on up. <laughs> come on up here. Okay, so I want you guys, uh, three on a side right here, just kind of like this, okay? And kind of facing each other, facing each other, okay? All right. Let's have one more guy. Because this is my life, okay? All right, you've been here. Can we have one more guy? Somebody come up here. Coben, come on up here, okay? All right, uh, can you move those stands? Todd always takes over the stage. So you go back there a little Okay. All right, now, now, all, all I want you to do, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you guys got to catch me, okay? You got to do that? Right. Okay, it's not time to be funny, okay? All right, here we go. Oh, well, oh, let's go down further. Let's go down further. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Good. 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 Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Okay. Now, what happened there? What happened there when I fell back, my whole center of gravity shifted. That's what it means when you put your trust in Jesus. Because until he's the Lord of your life, you yourself are the center of gravity in your life. You're the one who decides what's right and wrong, what's good for you, what's not good for you. You make your own judgments. And when you put Jesus as your cornerstone, you're saying, I am not qualified to be the cornerstone. I need someone else. And so our center of gravity shifts. What happens then? Well, a couple of things happen. One thing is, your life is realigned. You know when your car gets out of line, how frustrating that is? You fight it, and you know it's more damage is being done if you don't take care of that. That's what happens when our lives are out of line with the truth of Jesus. We get out of alignment. And so our marriages don't work. Our parenting is not very wise. Our jobs leave us empty. We never have enough money. There's just all kinds of issues. Now, let's say all that's going okay there's still a gnawing emptiness within, within us that why, why do I have all this and I still have this hole in my life? That's because we're out of alignment. But there's another thing that happened because life, you can't get through life without storms. And Jesus taught this one time. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? 
As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. All kinds of storms. And you may be going through a storm right now. Maybe somebody just broke up with you. Maybe you just had a fight on the way to church. You know, maybe, and you're looking really nice, by the way, but, you know, maybe not all is well inside. Maybe you're battling health issues. Maybe you're recovering from grief and sadness and sorrow in your life because of death. I mean, it's all kinds of things. Is there ever a time in our lives there's not, not something that's burdening us? Something. There are all kinds of storms. I tell you that the foundation shakes, not when you're built on Jesus Christ. Does that mean everything goes right? No, of course not. Life has its pains. But when he's your core, when he's your foundation, when he's your cornerstone, that foundation will not shake. Can you, can you, lose, can you lose people in your life you love? Yep. Can, 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 can uh, your children disappoint you? Yes. Can you lose your job? Yes. Can you have financial? Yes. Christians experience all those kinds of things, but the foundation doesn't shake. But I think it looks forward to another day when Jesus comes back. That day, the world is going to rock. It's, this whole world is going to shake. And the only ones who are going to survive the judgment of God are those who are covered by the blood of Jesus. He is the sure foundation. He's also a smashing stone, and not in a positive way. If you've got British background, you think, oh, we had a smashing good time. That's not what this one is about. I turn to Daniel now. Daniel lived uh, about 100 years and hundreds of miles away from Isaiah the prophet. And Nebuchadnezzar is king of the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar had this vision. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, a lot of people read that and say, oh, that must be the second coming of Christ. What are these nations? And when is Jesus going to come back? That's making it too complicated. This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. And he has a dream. He wants a statue of himself in the middle of Babylon. He wants to be worshipped and honored. Babylon at this time is the powerhouse nation of the known world. And he wants a dazzling statue of himself, awesome in appearance. It's made of all these precious metals. But Daniel the prophet says, there's a rock coming. And that rock is not made of human hands. It's a supernatural rock, he's saying. And he says, he says about this rock, 
that it, it is, it's, it's not cut with hands. It says, it struck the statue and became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. We all have dreams, don't we? There's nothing wrong with having dreams. I love to be around young people because they have such great dreams. And you know, as you get older sometimes, you forget to dream. It's good to dream. But it's good to, be, it's good to dream about the things that you can be as God created you to be. It's good to dream what you, difference you can make with your life when Jesus is Lord of all. Young people move to the cities. Why do they move to the cities? Because they have dreams for themselves. You know, they, they dream big. You don't dream big, big in rural communities. You dream big in the city. The problem with the city is it can take you down the wrong path to dreams that are self-made and where we, we have vision, awesome visions of ourselves, where we want to be dazzling in the city. We set ourselves up for failure. There are university dreams. There are money dreams. There are degree dreams, career dreams, family dreams, kid dreams, marriage dreams, relationship dreams, you know, uh, retirement dreams. There are all kinds of dreams. But if those dreams are about me and making myself awesome and building my life by my own rules, that's the wrong kind of dazzle to go for. What we care about is the dazzling one, Jesus Christ. This rock was of supernatural origin and of all those, all those materials mentioned in the prophecy, rock is the least expensive, the least impressive. When Jesus was laid in the manger that night long ago, there's nothing unusually impressive about him. Just a baby. When he was 30, beginning his public ministry, nothing impressive about him. Nothing that should cause people to follow him. He looked like a normal guy. Very usual. How, how can he be the redeemer of the world, they said. Um, th this particular rock, it says, it grow, grew and became like a mountain. In other words, it was real small and then it kept building. That's what Jesus called 12 men to himself. And look where the church is around the world today. It started small and builds, but that's also true personally for you and me. You know when you come to Jesus, how much do you really understand? I understood very little. I knew I'd sinned, and I knew I wanted to live for Jesus. I was 10 years old, but I knew enough that I needed more, and I was baptized into Christ. Now, I get it a lot more now than I did when I was 10 years old. So my faith has grown. My life has grown, right, just like yours. It continues to grow. That's the nature of the kingdom. That's why people will say to you, I can't believe you're a Christian you said that. I can't believe you call your Christian. Anybody had that say that to you? Oh, don't be so holy. Of course they've said it to you, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Why? Why is that true? Why is it that we say we're Christians and yet we find ourselves saying things, believing things, thinking things, saying things, acting ways that are ungodly? Why? Because while the kingdom has come upon us, it's also not yet. It comes in ever-increasing growth in our lives, right? We start new in Jesus. We don't know much. We don't know much about right and wrong. We don't know much about the Bible. We just start. And then as we grow, that life becomes bigger and bigger 
and our life continues to grow until one day Christ comes back and he's going to burn all the elements with fire, the Bible says, and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And you know what? On that day, the fullness of the kingdom of God will be enjoyed. That's what we're looking forward to. And there's some days I just can't hardly wait. So my brothers and sisters, he is the one we proclaim today. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the only true dazzling one. He is golden from head to toe, and he's the only one who is eternal. Because he's eternal, we get to live forever as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for being the core of life, the beginning of life, the end of life, the goal of life. And Father, we can so often be obstinate, stubborn people. Please forgive me, forgive us. And I pray we will live in a way that the world has a hard time pointing their finger at us and saying, you call yourself a Christian? I pray more and more, Father, we will learn how to be like Jesus from the inside out. He is the centerpiece, the core. His foundation will never shake. I pray no one here today, if they're stumbling up to this point, will keep on stumbling, but will be willing to build their lives on him. To God be the glory in Jesus' name.